So uh, we are continuing our series that we started. It's an Advent series called The Reason, Welcoming the Vulnerable This Season. And uh, before I get into that, I just want to note that on this stage, we had Miley's, I feel like, I mean, she sang before, but I feel like she brought it. You know what I mean? She's leading with the kids. I love that she did that, dude. I just want to celebrate that. Chloe, make sure you just like shower her with praise. Um, and speaking of praise, like, yeah, Greg's my brother-in-law. Miley's my niece. And what many of you might not know is that Sylvia Gunn, a.k.a. Lita, which is short for Abelita, is uh, Greg's mama. And uh, Lita is likely one of the most welcoming people in our community. She is quick, uh, quick for a hug and a kiss. Actually, long for a hug and a kiss is what the world needs. She cooks pretty good. She cooks pretty good, good-sized portions, which I like. I like good-sized portions. She recalls Jesus' faithfulness uh, all the time. I love that about her. I feel like that's been a big theme in this last couple of years for me talking to her is just how faithful Jesus has been and is to her. And she's really good. She's good for her grandchildren. Good. She watches Molly, Molly like once a week for me so I can get a few things done. Such a gift. Um, she is a gift. Just an absolute gift. We love her. And uh, I just wanted to note um, that Greg, a couple years ago, Greg and Carrie built a home. And it's a stunning home. And, and I just... Let me just note on a side note, Greg's my brother-in-law. Guy can build anything, play guitar, surfs better than me, cardiovascular surgeon. It's just awesome. I love it. Uh, and the home has got, just, it's really beautiful. It's very hospitable. But I think the most charming, rather most beautiful aspect of it is that Lita lives with them, that she lives there. She, it's just an amazing aspect. And sure, there's adjustments I'm sure that happens. I mean, Lita took care of her own mama for 15, maybe 20 years. And now Greg's, Greg's looking at, Greg and Carrie are looking after her, you know. And that's just like wonderful. It's, it's adjustments. There's communication needed, I'm sure. I'm not in the midst of it. But one thing I do know is that it's beautiful and it's biblical. It's biblical. And as we, I just want to take hold of that as we step into the conversation today. Because uh, we are talking about um, welcoming uh, the least of these. In the Old Testament, there was this quartet that was actually spoken over us a couple months ago when Jennifer Halliburton preached. This idea that um, God prioritized the poor, the widow and the orphan, as well as the alien or foreigner and immigrant. And, and it's their social exclusion that grieves the heart of God, their economic distress, but it's more than that. God knows that these people groups are a gift. They are a gift. And in fact, the margins, as we speak, were always meant to be the very center of the church. They always were, and they, and they still should be. God gives priority to them. And when we think about Advent, that comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming and arrival. And the very first and significant witnesses of the coming Christ were the poor and the widow and uh, even the foreigners. You have this impoverished teenage couple. You have uh, these older elders and this widow who pray and welcome the baby. We'll read about that today. You have this country, this fallen country, who welcomes refugees. It's, it's a wonderful reality. This is beautiful. And I think it reminds us that we all were outsiders, welcomed in by other outsiders who were once, or welcome, yeah, welcomed by insiders who were rather outsiders at one time. And we talked about the poor last week, that the poor is not just a task for the Christian, but they're actually teachers for the Christian. They're teachers, and they, they teach us about our own poverty. They teach us about how to care for others. They teach us how to share the wealth. 
and not by us caring for them. Literally, they're just a very caring community. That community is amazing. There's always space for others, and they're a very generous community. Uh, and so today's the title is uh, Welcoming the Orphan. I'm sorry, Welcoming the Widow. And I might get into the orphan a bit, but I, f- I want to focus on our elders today. But before we even talk about welcoming the widow and orphans, it's the season, right? Tis the season. So I just want to have a little question to kind of get us uh, started today. And so a question for have you today is, tis the season for company. What is the most difficult aspect of having house guests? And then conversely, or in this long same vein, what is the most difficult aspect of being a house guest of someone else's home? Let's, let's just start up. Like, think about that. What are some of the most difficult aspects of having house guests or being a house guest? Take one, two, do them both. You got about a minute or two. Talk amongst yourself. All right, let's do this. We got more questions today. I think a roadmap's appropriate. Donovan's cool, isn't he? Great guy. Talking to you guys. Donovan, great guy? Yeah, yeah, great guy. So I'm a bit of an intuitive thinker. So I'm going to give you a bit of a roadmap. Sometimes Larry does this, which I appreciate. You kind of have sermon part one, part two. It won't go super long, but I think in order to welcome the widow or welcome others in their home, we have to figure out or, or just have a, a, a really good discussion about what is the family so that we can understand what is the home. So I kind of split it up, but I was really drawn to just discussing what that looks like for us. Um, what is the family and then what is the gift of welcoming, in this case, the widow and or anybody in your home? So that's the roadmap. Um, like the poor, welcoming others makes, is the gospel, it's the mission. It is the mission. James 1.27 is a great verse. It says, religion that is pure and faultless is this, to welcome or to help, uh, to help the, to look after rather, the orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. That is the mission. It is, it is God's kingdom mission. But just again, like the poor, the mission also is a gift. What God wants from us, he also has something very much for us. And so there's a gift in welcoming others into our home. But the tension that I can feel, that I feel personally, is this is our home. That's my house. This is my safe space, my refuge. Uncoincidentally, those who are at risk definitely need a safe space. I believe there's a symbiotic nature to be able to have a safe space in your home while creating space for others. There's enough room, so to speak, in God's economy, but that we feel that tension. Like, ah, that's my home. That's going to look too close for comfort. So let's talk about what the home is and really what the family is. Um, the traditional family, when we say a traditional family, that's actually um, what we consider a traditional family, 2.3 kids, a dog somewhere in there. Maybe that's the point three, right? That's actually a two-century-old model. It's part of the 18th-century bourgeois uh, tradition. And uh, Rodney Clapp, in his book, Families at the Crossroads, Beyond Traditional Modern Options, he notes that the modern family, the traditional family, has many characteristics that have only been a few centuries old, likely a product of 18th-century romanticism coupled with Western individualism. Uh, but the, the characteristics of the modern family is this, that family life is eminently attractive and the home as a private refuge from the harsh world is a major focus of life. And this focus on the home or focus on the family has been preeminent in evangelical subculture. Uh, there's a heightened concern for children, particularly for their formation and education. One aspect of the traditional family, especially in the church, is this this 
tunnel vision focus on children rather than spanning out and looking at the extended family, your oikos, your household, which in turn cares for one another, which in turn means more aunties and uncles for your kids. Again, symbiotic, but it's, it's very like my, my, almost myopic. Like I just got to keep my eyes on my kids. Some other aspects of the traditional family is family is a source of personal values and identity. You're a Kelly for both sexes. Or some other aspects, romantic love is a major motive for marriage. It's got to always be romantic. Spouses are intentionally affectionate and respectful to one another. The woman is paramount in the home, which is her special domain. That's the traditional family. Again, a lot of this is attributed to Western romanticism that came out of Europe as well as uh, individualism from our uh, industrial age. And from a faith perspective, when you think about that, it leads to a very individual type of life that our, 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 our conversations are individual. It's about my personal next step in these conversations rather than ours. It's about having a personal savior, which our God is very personal, but it's also very collective. I am a child of God rather than being I am a child of God and God's family who have brothers and sisters. That, that's some of the aspects in it. In fact, when you look at the priorities of the Western church in America, it typically goes like this. My priority is God. At least we say that. God's my priority. Number two is my family, my singular family, my nuclear family, me and my kids. The church, yeah, the church matters, and the world. And if we just think about some of those characteristics that I, I talked about, that, that can lead to a lot of negative effects. One major negative effect of that is um, in a world that highlights so much discrimination, we, we fail to miss ageism, which is discrimination against older people. Because if I'm... <laughs> yes. It's true, though. It's a very real thing. It's, a, it's, it's ageism because we, we're focused so much down on our kids. Even our retirement flows down. Where most cultures, it flows up. That you're supposed to take, that you, well, not supposed to, but you, you have the freedom to take care of those who are older. Um, focus, uh, the focus of singleness is marriage. Focus of marriage is their kids, and we, and we miss our elders in our lives. And, and even worse, sometimes we think they're outdated. Or, and we believe the myth that the relevancy of knowledge outshines years of wisdom when it doesn't. It doesn't. I have a friend who fights for the rights of women, who fights for the rights of minorities, who has a heart for uh, those who are seeking asylum from other countries. But this person, she admits fully that she struggles with ageism. It's just something we don't talk about in the church. And it, it can even be a mission gap for the church. We focus so much on our safe families that we can miss the olders who need love. And I don't want to miss them. I think another negative effect that we should name its, its corollary to this conversation, but it's worth naming, is um, singles and divorcees have a problem finding their place in the church. If our focus is so much on family, which I, I'm not trying to make a commentary against focus on the family. It just, they do some good stuff here and there, you know. It's not everything. Um, but, yeah, if the focus is so much on the family, we can miss singles in our church and or, and or divorcees. And, and we've, we've seen that in our own church. I started as a young adult's post-college career pastor in Flood Church when we started out in Flood North County six years ago. In the last year, we've become a church plant, which is great, and a lot of that community has moved forward with us. But it was predominantly singles. And I'm not going to feel too guilty. Like there's part of just growing as a church. But the issue is when we make marriage the focus of our faith and we somehow equate 
marriage being more spiritually mature than a single, when singleness in Scripture is, is actually viewed as superior? I'm not going to get in a comparison debate, but when we, we just had that, we highlight being married so much we can really isolate singles and divorcees. It's just good to be aware of these negative effects. I think in conversations like these, I like to bring challenge, but it's not about like, oh gosh, I'm all the way over here, I do all these things wrong. But like, what is the Lord saying to you in the midst of these truths that you kind of know hit home? Like, oh yeah, that makes sense. We do elevate marriage to an nth degree. And uh, I think uh, another value of ours is, one of our values is that we rest. Another one is to be spiritually discerning. So what may God be pointing out to you in this conversation? In fact, we did this last week, and I'm drawn to doing it again. I want to just pause and take a moment and say, like, we've gotten here thus far. What is God saying in the midst of this conversation? Another way, because that could be really, like, what, intuitive or you feel like you need to be super spiritual, what's standing out to you as we've talked about thus far? What's standing out to you? Um, we just want to be attentive like David was attentive, like Jesus is attentive. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me so that you, Lord, can lead me in the ways everlasting. So let's take a moment and just share with somebody next to you, like, hey, what's standing out to you as I talk about this, this idea of the Western family versus what God may have for us? You're back together. Same thing with you online. What's standing out? All right. Another 30 seconds. Let's get into the Bible. Hey, uh, don't let me forget... I'll bring it up the end. We need to help Maureen. Hashtag help Maureen. Okay. I got to bring that up. Hi, Alicia. You good? Okay. I'll bring it up at the end. So, what is the family? According to scripture, what is the family? How are we doing? Good? That's good. So in the New Testament world, blood family did matter. In fact, it was the highest priority. Just got to keep talking, right? But your blood family was way more than just 2.3 kids. If you look at the Old Testament, family was more described as clans. There was families of 50, 70, Jacob's household. Or if you look at the tribes within um, the Exodus, post-Exodus event, families were way larger than it seemed. It was extended family. And it was the, uh, was the priority, especially in a patriarchal context. Um, another book, Josh Hellerman, he says in his book, When the Church Was a Family, uh, he, he said the most prioritized relationship in your life actually was not your spouse. It was your siblings. They were your support network. Because in those times, which those times are, were, which is most of history, you were betrothed. And, and you were making alliances through marriage with other families and, in a sense, expanding the family. In fact, there's like a, I think, Eric, you have a slide of a, the Mediterranean family. You had a patriarch and then a wife and me and then my sister and her husband, then our kids. And the family was extended. And even if there was another patriarch, you were so close to them that you had this great network of people. And, um, again, your, your, your relationships your closest network were your siblings. This is why, like, um, the most treacherous human disloyalty was not to one's spouse. It did matter. Jesus is all for human uh, marital loyalty, but 
The most treacherous was betrayal of one's brother or sister. That helps us inform what Jesus is talking about when he talks about who are my brothers and my sisters. Doesn't, doesn't mean we abandon our spouse by any means. It's just in those times, sibling relationships were highly prioritized. And Jesus takes those metaphors to help us understand a bit more what the church family looks like. Mark 3, as well as in Mark, Matthew 12, then Jesus' mothers and brothers and sisters arrived. Standing outside, they sent for someone to call him in. Uh, Jesus was preaching, and everybody thought his preaching was, uh, well, not everybody. The religious leaders thought it was essentially demonic. And so his brothers and sisters were trying to take hold of him. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they told him, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, brother and sister and mother. And, and, and Jesus is, is, is helping us shift our focus here a bit. That whoever does the will of God, that, that takes prior, priority. It takes center stage of who your family is. That God's family actually supersedes your family. Now God's all for, Jesus is all for uh, loyalty to your family, but when it comes to any conflicts, your, your primary loyalty is to, is to those who do the will of God, your extended, uh, Jesus's in many ways, church family. That doesn't mean we abandon our families by any means. Uh, one, one disciple of mine taught me that it's not family or mission. It's not trying to balance family and mission. It's actually you and your family on mission. And sometimes your kids are the mission at times. They are the ones you're discipling. But again, we don't want to get that tunnel vision focus of just that. I mean, Paul says in Ephesians 6.4 that you are to bring them up, the children, in training and instruction of the Lord. But that's one command among many that he's calling us to in terms of loving our neighbor. And I think when we help understand that, like we, it helps us harmonize some of those statements in the gospel where Jesus is like, yeah, like, what God has brought together when it comes to a spouse, let no one person separate. Husband and wife come together, don't separate them. Don't hinder the children. Honor your mother and father. Like, that matters to God. At the same time, Jesus also says, like, they're not supposed that I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. This is uh, Matthew 10. For I've come in to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his, her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He tells one disciple, like, don't worry about burying your father. Let the dead bury your dead. Follow me instead. And this is, the way we harmonize that is that whenever possible, Jesus definitely encourages faithfulness, and loyalty to your natural family relations. But your natural slash nuclear family exists to serve the designs of the family of God and not vice versa. The church is not for your family. The family you have is for the church. And that can be the very best thing for our kids. In fact, it is. In fact, it's, when we think about that, it's, that's actually what grew the church, was extended families creating space for others uh, if you know anything about history, you know that there was a plague that happened in the second century across the Roman Empire. It's called the, the Plague of Galen, where it's either measles or smallpox, but it killed one-third of the Roman Empire. 
5,000 people were dying a day. And people were just fleeing the city. Doctors were getting out of there. Uh, people were being thrown in the streets. You couple that with the fact that, according to Roman law, you're allowed to basically throw out your children. Unwanted females, deformed kids, you're allowed to just throw them out. Christians responded by taking people in. Those who were thrown out in the streets, those who were sick because of that plague, they took them in. That's actually how the church grew from a few thousand around 40 A.D. to 34 million around 350 A.D. Constantine converted as a response to that type of love. If he didn't change the, the, the nation, the nation was literally growing up in Christian homes. So Jesus' priorities is this. The priority of the gospel of Jesus is God's family. I'm going to put an asterisk there. My family and others. Because I think sometimes we think of others, we think of like, that's the mission. Others are those who may be resistant or indifferent or apathetic. God's family Part of God's family is, is those in need. That's your family. When you look around and see someone in need or someone in your network or neighborhood, that's part of God's extended family. And then your family, your nuclear family, hopefully extended family, which means this, as a follower of Jesus in the way, um, your home's purpose is designed primarily for God's purposes. It is. Your home was designed for God's purposes. When you think about designing your home, what does God look like as the architect? What are these spaces that we're creating for? Sermon part one. This next one's quick, I promise. Again, what God wants from us, there's so much for us. And there is a gift in welcoming others into our home. A gift of Expanding your faith, the gift of recognizing God's provision, God's salvation, your neediness as a human, the joy of purpose, partnering with the Lord. There's so much beauty in welcoming others into our homes. So in this case, what does it mean to welcome the widow? Because we know God's heart is for those who don't have any protection, don't have agency or means. And in that time... In a lot of our times, the widow, they didn't have physical capital. If it's a patriarchal society and a widow loses her husband and she's not able to remarry back into the family by some means, then she soon finds herself alone, without means. God loves all of us, but he has a special care for those without means. I read you James 127, Jeremiah twenty two sixteen. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. And so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? This is God asking a question. First Timothy 5 says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. You've got somebody in your family that's older than you, you're the primary per person to take care of that person. That's part of prioritizing your family. However, the widow who's really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. Continuing on, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burned with them so the church can help those widows who are really in need. So yeah, we do prioritize those people in our family, but we also prioritize those who are around us that need help. It's a both and. That's faith, family, congruence. 
I mean, my grandma, Celie, it's like, it's a regret I have it happened in my 20s. She was such a sweet lady. She made me orange juice and bacon almost every morning, and then orange juice and sandwiches for lunch every day, and orange juice and ham for dinner. I loved her. She's so good to me. I don't love ham, but two out of three ain't bad. Orange juice is dope, though. My son loves it. Yes. Oh, no, not fresh squeeze. Uh, one of my greatest regrets, though, is that we put her in a home, you know, as a kid. You know, she, she, her husband, Tom, died when she was 80, and she lived till 90. And, and she wasn't very aware, and you could excuse it. I'm not trying to make a commentary on my family, but I just want to take note of that. It's like I want her to be in a space where she's around others who loved her. And we try to visit her as much as we can. Um, but, yeah, there's this, feel that tension in my life. And I want to pay attention to what it means to, to care for those who've gone before us, who have years of wisdom to impart to us. So uh, with that, this may be an introvert question. This could be an extrovert question. Take your time. Um, but who's older in your life, in your life? I want to highlight that word, in your life, that needs care. Is there somebody in your life that needs care? It's okay to think, think parents, grandparents. But then also, who's, who's older around your life that needs care? We have a next-door neighbor who's older, and she still made me all my dinner for my birthday. She can be cared for any day she wants. I love her. But, um, yeah, she, I try to go visit her as much as I can. She's amazing. So who's, who's somebody in your life? Take a moment to think about it so I can just look at my notes. I want you to, I want you to prayerfully consider this. What is the gift of welcoming the widow into our homes? Let's talk about that briefly. We'll get into some Advent scripture for us. We're going to be looking at Luke's gospel. And this is not a whole other sermon. I've got literally just two more pages left, Claire. So just relax. We got this, okay? Love you, dude. So we're in Luke's gospel. I'll give Larry another minute. Got to respect him. Sweet, sweet. You good? I'm good. I love you, dude. I respect you. Yo, um... Larry is a great guy. So we're in Luke's gospel. Luke presents a real sober tone. I think what's really cool about Luke's gospel is he presents a wide range of angels in the beginning. And his goal is to show the inclusion of Jesus, that this king and savior is not just for the Jews, though that matters, but it's for the whole world. So you have this, obviously, this young little baby um, at the Advent passage, but you also have this teenage, impoverished, minority couple. You have these lower-class shepherds working the fields. And then we come to eight days after Jesus' birth, uh, the purification rites according to the law. I love the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary, the father of Jesus and mother of Jesus. And uh, you have this older couple that Luke's, Luke's, I think Luke's intentionally showing a broad range to show just how inclusive this gospel is. And uh, this older couple, they're not a couple, actually. In fact, that word couple, like when you think of couple, they are a couple of people, but they're not together. Um, it's Simeon and Anna, who's a widow. I'm guessing Simeon is unmarried. I, I don't know. I did a little research on that. What we know is both of them have been waiting in hope. Both of them have had suffering in their life. And when they bring this baby Jesus to be um, set apart, a lot like how we do child dedications, which was a lot of fun a couple weeks ago. Uh, they have a lot of great words for them, and they show us just the beauty of, of our older generation. So I'll go there. Luke 2, verses 22 to 36. 
When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn more, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought him, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, I just love that image, grabbing that baby. Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, again, inclusive, and a glory of your people, Israel. Israel matters. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Here we have actually the cross in view early on in Luke's gospel. Not just the cross, but Jesus' ministry and how it reveals the hearts of all of us who are following and who are, who are not. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Some say that she lived like 84 years after she, she was a widow for 84 years, but either way, that means she's been a widow for like 60 years. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praising. I think we remember that from 1 Timothy 5.5. 5. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So, I think when we look at that passage, and then we consider the honor of our elders, there are three simple things. There's many more that I just want to highlight in terms of the gift of the older generation, especially when we welcome them into our homes and our lives. There's three simple gifts. And, but before I do that, this is, I just want to highlight that whenever we, we, we enter into the, the mission of God, there's reciprocity there. God, I've said this like three times, but I can't say it enough, that God gives us so much as we give, uh, give to God's mission. Whether that's with our time, whether it's our resources, God gives. And, and think about this couple. They've been through Joseph and Mary, right? Like this is a child that came into Mary. They haven't had any sexual relations uh, for a whole pregnancy. This has happened when she's like somewhere between the age of 12 and 15. Joseph's life plans, he's a little bit older. It's like, what, what am I going to do? And they've just had to deal with this wild reality. And now, and I don't know if a lot of people, but there's been a government mandate that's issued them to migrate to another flat. They had to go to like leave their house and home and had to go back to their, to, to their lineage's hometown for a census. 
And a child's born in like pretty gross settings. You know, it's like, had it been like one, one heaven of a ride. You know, it's like, whoa. So they're just trying to be faithful and dutiful. And they take this child. They take this child into the temple. And God uses this older, these older two people just to bring them comfort and solace. That's so beautiful. That, that is like, that's like what our older generation is like primed to do. They're primed to bring us solace, not in who they are, but who God is and what God has done in their lives. And, and one of the gifts of welcoming the widow in their homes is, is just their gratitude that they have for a life of following God. Lita has a, so much gratitude for what God has done. And, and, and the gift that you can have when you welcome a widow in your home is, is just their posture of worship, their gratefulness. Even if you don't have to welcome somebody who, who may not be a follower of Jesus, you at least have their gift of gratitude. Age can be a bittering time. One of the ways that we can serve those that have gone before us is to serve them and to love them and give them a space. A posture of worship, that's what Simeon and Anna give to this really tired couple. Another, this is, this is a bit of a metaphor, but it's true nonetheless. Another gift of welcoming the widow into her home is another set of hands to help out. I love how these two grab the child and hold him up. But I think what most people don't know is that Anna likely lived in the temple. She had a, probably her own room, and she helped out. That was part of the life that there was there. One of his righteousness to Simeon is he was helpful. He helped out. When we bring people in our homes, it's dignifying to give responsibility to others. I'm like, hey, you are here. We are family. I look after you. You look after me. Let's take care of one another. That's the gift of welcoming others in our home, young and old. It's, it's another set of hands to help out. Reciprocity is dignifying. And Lita, you help out all the time. Goodness. I think one of the greatest gifts as we talk about welcoming the olders and the widows into our home is you have someone who's weathered the storms of life. And, and, and that is maybe the greatest gift you can have. Somebody who knows how hard life can be and be there with you when life gets hard. Because life will get hard. It does. Their strong words, their consoling being, their own weathering of pain and suffering and loss, it is the greatest gift to a family. It is family. Their words carry weight because they've been through more than we've been through. So just want to note that as we consider what our homes can look like moving forward as a family. And again, I do believe this is a very inclusive and welcoming family, and I'd love how we are stretching across the generations, let's keep leaning into that. I think there's a vision there for us. But as we, as we move on, who in your life needs protection? Who needs agency? Who needs means? Let's be extended family together. I have some next steps, but I just I want to make sure I hit this one right away. Uh, our, our very own Maureen Look, she had our reconstructive surgery in both of her knees, and then she fell yesterday. She called me yesterday morning. She needs help this week. It's like, dude, Lord, you are on fire. You know, you know what your people need. And uh, she, needs, she actually needs substantial help, like each and every day. And if you can help out a few hours of a day, grocery shopping, um, helping her walk around the house, prepping meals, loading the wash, that, that would be very helpful. She needs it for the next eight days. I know Sylvia is going there Monday. He's spending a lot of time with her tomorrow. Uh, Tony's probably helping out today. I don't mean to put you on the spot. 
I'll be there, I believe, Tuesday morning. So if you can help out, please let me know. Hashtag help Marine. Other thing I want us to consider next steps for us in your home, in your household, and us together as a family is what's our plans for our homes in 2022? What plans do we have for our homes? We've been uh, elevating safe families. It's a great thing. Having these kids, these at-risk kids in our homes is a wonderful thing. Um, consider being a safe family. And if you're close to being done the process, cross that finish line. You can do it, girl. You can do it, dude. You can do it. You can do it. I'll watch your kids. You got this. Let's cross that finish line. Another thing to think through this week is who's someone that you could invite over for dinner that, that's a little bit older? And then as you think of inviting, bring some people to a Christmas concert. Hannah's going to come next week. It's going to be dope. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to pray for us and uh, invite the band back up. Lord, we thank you for each and every person here. We ask for your care over Maureen. You love her, Lord. You want to serve her, Lord. We pray in unity as extended family that you would bring her extraordinary comfort and healing this week, Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would be an inclusive community to those who are older than us, those who are younger than us, and those who are around our age. Ultimately, God, we want to offer the gift of life. We want to offer you, Lord. So you're the best thing we have, God, the one who brings us together, the saving God, the dying God, the rising God. Lord, thank you that you've shown us what it means to rediscover family, the gift of one another, the work of your Holy Spirit. Would you raise up your church, God? In a time where people are disinterested, would our church be one with open arms, seeking to embrace our brothers and sisters, whether they know you or not? And we pray for anybody here that they would say yes to you, God, knowing that you are the uniting God, that you are uh, you're an impartial God. You care for each and every one of us. You care for us when we feel like we're on the outside. You bring us inside, Lord. If there's anybody here who feels like an outsider, I pray against that. I pray that they would know that they're loved by you and that you would tangibly show that love from uh, the church today, our church. Thank you that you came and showed us what it means to live. Even before you were born to die, you, you were born to live, God. So we follow you, Jesus, again, welcoming others with your divine hospitality. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.